thank you for joining us for another episode of God, Law, and Liberty with David Fowler, president of the Family Action Council of Tennessee. Every week, we are putting culture, politics, and law on a collision course with the truth of God's Word. And now, here's David. Welcome to this week's edition of God, Law, and Liberty. I'm delighted to have you with me. And finally, after two weeks, we're now going to look at and analyze the testimony that was offered in front of the Tennessee House of Representatives before a couple of its committees in support of transgenderism. You may recall, particularly if you listened to the episode two weeks ago, the testimony was provided by a transgendered person who is the deputy director for transgender justice for the ACLU, a lawyer. The second was a woman in Christian clerical attire who uh, testified in the name of the God of expansive and inclusive love, Jesus Christ. Now today we're going to actually listen again to the audio of their statements and take a look at them. And so today let's begin with that of the attorney for the ACLU. hear a lot about parents' rights. What about the rights of parents who are trying to help their suffering children? And even if we disagree about ultimately the efficacy or the safety of this care or whether it's good or bad to be transgender, I happen to think it's a normal variation of human existence. But even if we disagree about that, these are parents whose kids are hurting. Now, while there are several things that could be said about this statement, the portion most relevant to the doctrine of the Trinity and of creation ex nihilo that we covered in the last two podcasts, is that transgenderism is a normal variation of human existence. I hope you caught that. What we should immediately see is even though he used the word existence, which is a statement of being, it was preceded by the word variation and that variation is normal. What is being said is that there is no givenness or fixity to what it means to be human, to our human existence. Now, what I hope by the end of today's podcast you will appreciate is that absent the doctrine of the Trinity and creation, there is no logical reason to deny the veracity of the lawyer's claim. And as we're going to see when we get to the testimony of the cleric, that it's only when we hold to the doctrine of the Trinity and creation ex nihilo can we speak to male and female and the relation between them as having any given and enduring meaning. Now that statement may seem astounding or surprising to many of us, particularly if we grew up in a Christianized culture, as I did. I'm moving on towards 65 years of age. Or if we grew up in a Christian or Christianized home or some kind of educational setting, that we forget that it's by faith, as it says in the book of Hebrews, 
chapter 11, that we understand the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. For many of us, that just seems to be a matter of strictly common sense, but it's not. In fact, if there is no God, then this wisdom of God regarding creation ex nihilo is foolishness. So the naturalist who denies the supernatural may concede that science hasn't been able to explain how stuff came to be in the first place to have, to have existence. But in his mind, surely it's just a matter of more time being needed. But still, this person would say, despite the fact that we haven't proved how things came into being, the fact remains that there is nothing except stuff. And if that's all there is, just stuff, matter, then then it can have no inherent meaning or given meaning because water who would provide that meaning? And without meaning, there can be no limiting purpose to that matter. It can be used for whatever we can figure out how to use it for. So if there's going to be any meaning or any purpose to any of the stuff, including our own bodies, we have to supply it. So when this cosmology comes down to the individual, we, we can now begin to understand a little bit the claim by the ACLU types, by the transgender types, that we're doing violence to the dignity of an individual if we impose a meaning on him or her other than that which he or she chooses. Because there isn't any meaning to that person except what they ascribe to themselves. There's, there's nothing objective out, outside of the matter that the person is that constitutes him or her by which he or she can define or give meaning to their own existence. It brings to mind uh, a comment Jason Farley made on the podcast Knox Unplugged that all a person can really truly know about himself or herself is that he or she is not some other person. And all that anyone can know about another person is that he or she is not some other person. So now we can begin to understand that the names we give to things have no real or substantial or enduring meaning. And that explains, if you want to know, why Supreme Court Justice Brown Jackson could not define a woman. We can only name things, including humans, in terms of what they are not. This thing or this person is not that thing or that person. But notice here what's happened. Rather than life being defined and perceived as full of meaning and purpose, it can now only truly be defined in terms of negation, what something is not, that, that it's not these other things or these other persons. And really, how depressing is that? And 
how violent, let's say, could it be to tell a person who says, I have no meaning unless I give it to myself. I have no purpose unless I define my purpose to then tell them they can't do that. They are now meaningless and purposeless. Perhaps that's why we're, we're seeing particularly so many women now, young women, uh, depressed and having considered suicide. There is no meaning or purpose to them, and they're not like men. So what do I do? What do I do? Now, let's go to the testimony of the cleric and listen to what she has to say. What she was testifying in support of was a bill that said the word sex, wherever used in the code, unless the an intention to the contrary was clearly manifest, would refer to biological sex as determined by anatomy and genetics at the time of birth and put on the person's birth certificate. So with that as an introduction to what she's speaking to, let's listen to her testimony. And I am here in the name of the God of expansive and inclusive love, Jesus Christ. And I oppose House Bill 239 defining sex as a person's immutable biological sex determined at birth. I have seen the hurt and fear this kind of erasure causes in the Christian church. And it saddens me to imagine that hurt writ large across the state were it written into law. We each of us hold identities that change over time. None of us are immutable. And I know from walking with God's children in the church that when we say we must be immutable, it creates a sense that our true and vulnerable selves and all of our changes cannot be valued or held with dignity or worthy of love. I've seen this harmful interpretation drive folks out of the place where they are supposed to come and know they inherently belong in all of who they are and in all of the ways that they are becoming. Again, as with the ACLU lawyer, there are many things that could be said about her testimony. But for the present, we have to appreciate that her understanding of the person, like that of the ACLU lawyer, is also variable. We are constantly becoming. But notice this. As a religious person who believes there's a God, that understanding of the human person can only rest in a God whose essence is also not fixed but variable, or a view of creation that is commingled with God, who in creation is becoming, or pantheism. So you see here that she cannot believe in the Trinity as a reality that is, that has being, that is not changeable, nor can she believe in a creation that is distinct from the Creator and gets its meaning from the triune God. God has to be changing or God has to be a part of the world that's changing. That's how you get an absence of being that is something that is 
fixed and given to a belief that everything's in the process of becoming. And so, as you think about what I just said, it's not surprising we would find a person like Herman Bavink saying that the doctrine of the Trinity and the doctrine of creation, ex nihilo, rise and fall together. And since they are fundamental to Christianity, without which it ceases to exist, we can see that if creation is revealing the glory of God and we're seeing disorder, disharmony, things out of whack or uh, in our world, then it can probably all be traced back to some heresy regarding the Trinity or creation ex nihilo. Now, we don't think that way, that this thing I see out here, this transgender problem, reflects a a heresy in regard to either the doctrine of the Trinity or creation, and in this case with the religious woman, both. That's because we, we don't think that creation is actually revealing the glory of God, except in some abstract way that we look up in the stars and see the moon and the sun, and we say, yeah, that reveals the glory of God. But we don't think of ourselves, and we don't think of development in time and space of history as also revealing the glory of God. So let's, let's continue here now with this cleric's testimony. If we are made in the image of God, and it would be impossible for her to profess Christianity and not at least profess a belief in those words. Of course, it's hard to have any content if God is changing, right? But that's, that's her problem. Because if we're made in the image of God and we lack fixed or given meaning, then God too must be in the process of becoming. That's why I believe she says she came to speak in the name of the God of inclusive and expansive love, Jesus Christ. So according to the witness, here's what could be happening. What God loved at one point in time can apparently expand to include something that is no longer what it once was. Now, this, this should immediately create a problem in our minds. Presumably, if we ask this cleric, could God love evil, she would have to say, no. Well, that means God's not holy and pure, right? So she'd have to say no. But in a state of constant becoming, in the absence of real, given, fixed, enduring being, then not only does evil become unknowable for us, because everything's changing, but presumably for God, since he's changing and becoming too. In other words, this is, I get a little hard sometimes to wrap our heads around, but what might once have been evil that God would not have loved, and we couldn't have loved and still loved God above all things, 
may have become something else or be in the process of becoming something good. So in this state of constant becoming of variableness, the only sure thing the Christian could say is that whatever is in the moment should be loved and accorded dignity, which is what she said, but for the reason that if we don't, we may not love what God is now becoming and what God is coming to love as he changes and expands his loves. So that's where we find the idea that we need to love and hold with dignity and worth all our changes. And that's probably, I suspect, if you ask her, how God's love saves the world. Now, if everything's in the process of becoming and can can expand to fall within God's love, then you essentially are speaking a universalism, a universal salvation. I don't know if she believes that or not, but if she doesn't, then she's saying there is something that doesn't change that God doesn't love and can't love and won't love. So again, I don't know what she thinks she believes about God or the nature of the universe, but it's all mixed up. It, it, it doesn't cohere or hold together because the foundation, as we've talked about in previous episodes, for all things that no, no other person can lay is that which is laid in Christ Jesus. So what, in essence, I believe her church offers is an undefined, unknowable love. And, and that's why she says that if we don't just love everything that is becoming as it becomes, we will drive folks out of the place where they're supposed to come and know they inherently belong. And I think what she's saying here is that if you can't even belong to a God who we say is love, now that's interesting, isn't it? When we say he is love, that's a, that's a statement of being, of existence which shouldn't be variable. God's love isn't becoming. Anyway, again, this is just the wisdom of the world trying to make up something to feel better about themselves. And we can say any and all manner of things about God, but that doesn't make them true. But, but, but notice, I got a little off track there, that, that if you can't even belong to a God who we say is love, then salvation is lost. And and that person who knows something isn't right, that they don't fit when salvation is lost, well, the world becomes a very cold and lonely place. We're lost in the cosmos. But you can see the appeal of this too, right? What's not to love about a God and clerics that let us define love without any boundaries around it? Uh, love is love, as the saying goes, right? But, but love is love is a meaningless tautology. How, for instance, can this religious person with a clean conscience before God oppose and not embrace with love and dignity 
those who have not yet become what she is. If she doesn't, is she not failing to love and embrace with dignity those who she must believe are still in the process of their becoming, and they're just stuck right now in believing that we're made in the image of a triune God who has created things ex nihilo. But that's who we are, and we're be- going to become like her, right, presumably, so she should love us as, as we are. The truth of the matter is this cleric wants the law to allow her and those like her to impose their understanding of God and creation and persons on those who don't have that understanding. I, too, must become like she is. You, too, must become like she is and think like she is and believe in the God that she believes in, the creation she believes in, or you'll be excluded from community. We can't get away from this this idea of we're created for community, and yet we will be excluded from some communities unless we believe in the kind of God and cosmos she believes in. But if we don't, we're excluded from her community. I, I would close today with saying this, that she's right. The church, which I will define as the body of Christ, it's an incarnational thing that reveals a spiritual truth and reality. It is the place where they, the persons she's speaking about, are supposed to come and to find out how they belong. But belonging means learning how to fit into the cosmos that God has created and defined, and to which he has given to all things their meaning and purpose. We don't get to define God in a way that makes us fit into his cosmos. And God, not human beings, gets to define his body, the church. And God has defined his body as those beings created male and female who, having been joined to Christ by the Holy Spirit, are being reformed, or we could say reconformed again to the image of God. In God belongs salvation. Man is always trying to find a way to save himself. And that never works. It leads to death. So I hope you've begun to see over the last couple of weeks that an understanding of of the issues around us requires a right understanding of the two doctrines most fundamental to Christianity, the doctrine of the Trinity and the doctrine of creation ex nihilo, that they rise and fall together. And when creation is revealing the glory of God and we do not see the glory of God, we should begin our analysis with whether we have made a Trinitarian error or a creational error. Because, 
as Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, in the knowledge of God and of the Son, of the Father and the Son, lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So I hope you've enjoyed this little mini-series, and I hope you join me next week for the next episode of God, Law, and Liberty. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. God, Law, and Liberty is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information, please visit us at www.facttennessee.org. That's F-A-C-Tennessee.org. And please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Fact Tennessee.